Well, we've been dealing with the the question, how far would you go? And and, and really, as we talked about, or we participated in a sweater competition, I thought that was a, a pretty good analogy, how far we'd go to win a picture of me and $10. Um, I know my boys have participated in many uh, sweater competitions wearing Terry's sweaters, and I believe uh, those were the only times they wore your clothes, right, dear? Uh, uh, but, but they were willing to wear mommy's sweaters uh, to, to win a sweater competition. And so the question is, how far would you go? Uh, how far would you go to, to get a good deal for a Christmas gift? I mean, so, some of you went out on Black Friday, and you camped out, and you did all those things, and you stood... Anybody stand in long lines on, on Black Friday? Nobody? Nobody would admit that they did it. Uh, so some of you have done some, some things to save a few dollars for a gift. You've waited for, for hour upon hour for a 40-inch TV for $199. You, you've done things like that. How far would you go? How far would you go to save five cents a, a gallon on gas? Some of us spend $20 in gas uh, to save five cents a gallon when we purchase the gas. And, you know, we do some things to save money that, that maybe uh, aren't all that helpful. Uh, I can remember we were in um, Guatemala and we were negotiating at the market. And for every every seven cues would equal one dollar. And, and there were times I was arguing over three Q, and I'd say, that's 50 cents. I'm not going to argue over 50 cents. And, and we have that tendency to, to sometimes focus on certain things. How, how far would you go to save a few bucks? How far would you go to get Buckeye tickets. Yeah, now I've got your interest. Some of you would wait in line. Some of you would do all sorts of things to get Ohio State Buckeye tickets. How far would you go to rescue someone you love? Uh, you know, think about that for a second. You know, Terry and my boys and my daughter-in-laws, my daughters, how far would I go? To rescue them. I, I, I can't think of anything I wouldn't do for my family. You know, I, I love them so much, and, and I can't think of anything I wouldn't do for them. And so we've been dealing with that, that idea of how far would you go? And, and we've been looking at that through, through the lenses of Bethlehem. And, and we've got our, our extensive props up here to remind us our, that we talked, uh, what we talked about, you know, we talked about Mary and Joseph, particularly Joseph, and, and how far would you go to be part of God's story? You know, Joseph was willing to give up his reputation. He was willing to give up uh, his rights. He was willing to give up his future to be part of God's story. We, we have a manger here, and we talked about going to Bethlehem. How far would you go to fulfill Scripture? They, they were willing to make that 90-mile trip to fulfill Scripture. And how far are you willing to go to fulfill Scripture? Last week, Pastor Bob talked about the shepherds, and he gave me a little bit of grief because I didn't have a prop for him. And so I was going to make him wear this, and he quit. Uh, no, he, he's with the kids this morning. And I'll tell you who wore it in the first service, Matt. It was the person that wore the, won the sweater competition. You, you don't look real thrilled. I won't make you do it. And so Grayson wore it. So we have a, a you know, and it doesn't stink too bad. It's, it's, it's okay. And then this week, we're going to talk about Jesus. And so we have a baby Jesus who is nearly as tall as Mary and Joseph. Uh, he looks just like any newborn that you would plug in. Uh, so we have those extensive props 
to remind you of what we've been talking about. I, I know we, we go all out here at Marysville Church of the Nazarene, $10 in gifts and pictures of me, and, and then these expensive props. And the question is, how far would God go to rescue us? As we look at the Christmas story, as we consider the significance of Christmas, how far would God go to rescue you? How far would God go to rescue me? Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn." In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were being told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. You know, there's a lot of ordinary in this story. You know, we hear this story and we have, we have manger scenes at home, except most of our manger scenes have wise men in it instead of shepherds. But, but, but there's a lot of ordinary in this story. There's been billions of babies born throughout history and some in far worse circumstances than the birth of Jesus. Some in far better circumstances than the birth of Jesus. It is an ordinary birth account. We have a mom and dad who, who, who have the baby and they love the newborn and they do all that they can to care for the baby. It's just an ordinary baby in a small village in Israel. But the angels and the shepherds shift the story. They change it from one that's ordinary, just a normal baby that's loved by his parents. The angels and the shepherds showing up on the scene tells us that something else is going on. God is up to something new. Everything is different because of the birth of this baby. In the middle of the passage I read to you, it said, I bring you, the the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Don't miss the significance 
God has not sent a representative. He's not sent another Abraham on the scene. He has not sent another Moses or Joshua. This isn't King David reappearing. He has not sent one of the prophets. It's not Elijah or Isaiah. But God came Himself. And He wrapped Himself in human flesh, in the flesh of an ordinary baby in this small village in Israel, and God came himself to our rescue. Now, now we look ahead. We can't help but look ahead because we know the rest of the story, right? We, we understand as followers of Jesus, we, we understand that the birth is not the end, that, that this same baby grows up and becomes a man, and, and he lives this perfect life. He doesn't sin, and, and yet he has sorrow, he has pain, he, he's tempted in every way you and I are tempted, and yet he stays true to God. At the end of his life, he is crucified, not for his sins, but our sins. But that's not the end of the story either. This same Jesus who is crucified, who is dead and buried, is raised from the dead so that we can rise at some point. So so we know all that. When, When we as followers of Jesus see that the birth of the baby, all those images come to our mind. But I don't want us to fly past the birth. See, see, there's something significant occurring even in the birth of Jesus that we cannot miss. The angels say, peace among men with whom he's pleased. I, I, I don't know about you, but anytime I hear that verse, I struggle with it. Anybody else struggle with that? This ideal that somehow God is pleased with me, that that somehow God's favor rests on me, even when I feel like I'm so far out of God's favor at times. And we look at a world, and we look all around our, our world, and we see so much deception and so much sin and so much evil, but it's the same world that the angels are speaking into, that God is God's favor is resting on the world through the birth of this child. That peace is God's goal. You know what Christmas tells us? God's not mad at you. As you've come into this room and and all of us come into this room with baggage and, and there's things that keep us from approaching God at times, God's not mad at you. He's not frustrated at you. He's not written you off. God's favor rests on you and Christmas tells us that God still comes for His people. You're loved. See, see, there's a great reversal. There's a great reversal at work in the Christmas story. And this is why Christmas matters. Because the emphasis Changes. The emphasis shifts. But before the birth of the child, and, and, and I think some of us still live like this, the, the, the question becomes, how far do I have to go to be reconciled with God? What do I have to do to somehow gain God's pleasure? 
They think about the Old Testament. So, so they had these extensive sacrifice systems. They, can you imagine every Sunday having to come to church and kill an animal and drain its blood? That would be a lot of fun, right? <laughs> well, that was their religious service. It was all around sacrifice. And, and so they're bringing their sacrifices. And in their mind, can you imagine what they're thinking? Was, do you think that's enough? Man, I, I was pretty bad last week. Maybe I should have brought two this week. This hasn't been a great year for me. Is that sacrifice really enough? And then all the laws. And then on top of the laws, all the additions that they added to the law. It was all about how can I be reconciled to God? And, and so can you, can you imagine it's, it, on, on the Sabbath... On their holy Saturday, all they could do, there was only a certain amount of distance they could walk. Could you imagine them counting their steps and thinking, well, did I count right? Did I walk far? Did I somehow disobey? Am I being disobedient in how I'm living on Saturday? The way they washed their hands before they ate was all ritual. Did I do it right? Did I do it good enough? Is God pleased? The way they prepared their food. Every aspect of their life, every aspect of their life was done in a way that it was meant to reconcile, to bring them back to God. It was their burden. It was their problem. And see, Christmas reverses this. It's no longer how far do I have to go to be reconciled with God. The, the, the central theme is, how far would God go to be reconciled with us? Don't miss it. It's significant. It's the difference between religious observance and relationship. It's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This clear image of a God that wants to be reconciled with you and I. That's not mad at you. Romans 5, 6-8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man some would, would dare even to die. But listen to this that God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see it? And in Nicodemus, it's in John 3, it's one of my favorite passages. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and Nicodemus is this, this spiritual religious leader, and, 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 and he had... Religious leaders oftentimes have this way of... of, of comparing themselves to others. <laughs> that, that, that somehow uh, I, I'm better than my neighbor at these things, so somehow I'm okay. And, and, and see, that becomes the point of life. And, and it's almost as if, as I read this, maybe you don't read this in the same way, it's almost as if Nicodemus is coming to Jesus to get a pat on the back. Hey, yeah, you're really religious. <laughs> you're really keeping the law good. He understands that Jesus is something or someone, but who he is. And, and so Nicodemus comes to him at night. It's the attitude of a Pharisee that, that I'm here and you're there. 
and so somehow I'm better than you. I, I had a friend in college, and, and he's a good guy. <laughs> uh, I won't say his name. But, but he, uh, he would talk about how he hoped when Jesus returned that he would get a hover above the earth, like 10 feet. So he'd go by people that hadn't listened to him and say, see. <laughs> it's kind of the attitude of a Pharisee, comparing to everybody else. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, and listen to this, in John three sixteen through 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then verse 17. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. In other words, Nicodemus, I've not come to prove you right. I've not come to pat you on the back and judge everyone else, but I've come to be reconciled with everyone because God's desire is reconciliation. God's made the first move. God has taken the first steps. He is always the God of the first steps. And so the question is, what will our response be? You know, Christmas begs a response. John writes in his first chapter, he says, Yet some people accepted him and put their faith in him, so he gave them the right to be the children of God. They were not God's children by nature or because of any human desires. God himself was the one who made them his children. (laughs) I want you to know this morning, God's not mad at you. God hasn't given up on you. No no matter how bad the week or the month or the year or the decade's been, God has not given up on you. And he has initiated reconciliation. And, And the choice to respond is up to us. Will we accept that gift of relationship, of adoption? Now, now I, I believe when we see this as relationship, it changes things. When it's more than just religion, it's not religious observation, but it's relationship, and relationship always shifts things. On February 8, 1992, Terry and I got married. It was the best day of her life. It changed things. On March 17, 1994, between the afternoon sessions and the evening sessions of the NCAA tournament, Wyatt was born. Thank you, Wyatt. Basketball before, basketball after. It was a good day in the hospital room for Terry. That changed things. On 12-11-1996, at 11-12... Dylan was born. Relationship with Dylan changed things. On March 5th, 2002, at about 10.30 a.m., little Spencer was born. (laughs) I'm sorry, bud. The baby's always little Spencer. (laughs) That changed everything. And then in 2016, Wyatt married Priscilla. And we, we received our first daughter. And then he, she promptly, him and her, moved to Portland. We never saw him again. 
They're here right now. And that changed everything for him. And it changed things for us. Then on August of this year, Dylan and Dana got married, and we gained our second daughter. And things changed for Dylan. He no longer could come home on every break because his wife works. He's got to stay and work. Welcome to the real world, Dylan. His life changed. Our lives changed. Relationship. When our encounter with God is relationship, it changes everything. It changes how we live because I'm no longer just a believer. I'm no longer just a follower, but I'm adopted son of the Lord God Almighty. It changes my perspective. See, God has made the first move. And the call for us is to respond. And that's, that's why our youth ministry is called Respond Youth Ministries. Because the ideal that everything we do in our life is a response to God. Who always takes the first steps. I don't know about you folks, but that's kind of blowing me away the more I'm thinking about that. In every event in my life, God has always been the one that has initiated it. Not any righteous act that I've done, but His righteous actions. And so worship, what is worship? Faithfully responding to God's love is worship. And so God loves and we love in kind. God acts as an agent of reconciliation. We act as agents of reconciliation. God wraps himself in the flesh of Jesus Christ and he wants to wrap himself in our flesh and continue the mission. What's important to God becomes important to us. I believe it's Bob Benson. That's not Bob Benson. That said, let my heart be broken by the things that breaks the heart of God. So he changes us because relationship changes us. Well, when it's no longer religion and it's relationship, things change. We're closed with communion today, and Pastor Rich is going to lead it. And uh, I'm actually going to step down and receive communion with my family. And uh, I, I don't think I've done this. I think it's been probably since I, 2003 or so. And, uh, you know, they've always been there when I've done it, and I've just taken it for granted. Now we're all here. All the kids and their spouses, and we even have one grand cat here. And, uh, yeah, I know, somebody's got to explain to me what a grand cat is. Is that your cat's grand? Another conversation. Don't give me the bumper stepper. What were we talking about? Communion. You know, communion is a sacrament. It's a sacred, Bob Calhoun, who we're talking, it's a sacred moment. It's, Wesley defines the sacrament, and others do as well, as a means of grace. It's, it's through a sacrament that we encounter the grace of God. We truly, fully encounter. It's not just ritual, but somehow in this act, we, we come face to face with this God who still saves. Yet communion is ordinary. So, so, sometimes we see it in church, it's, it's so different than we typically receive it, but it's bread 
and juice. And yet somehow through these ordinary elements, God can convey his grace. They can become a means of grace. And so as we receive them, we're reminded how far Jesus came. You you can't take the the bread and the juice without being reminded that that we have entered into the holy place through the body of Jesus Christ and through his spilled blood. That that it's through his flesh that we can now have relationship with God. Last week, Wednesday, we did Dick Thomas's funeral. And, you know, maybe... It's a shaping thing to do a funeral at the same time you're preparing for a Christmas service. Because Christmas is always pretty joy, joyful and, you know, oh, it's the birth of the baby. But, but, but it was so awesome to be able to do this funeral with a guy and realize that his faith was sure. That there was no distance between him and God. And, and so my faith tells me that he was okay. That he was ready to meet God. Not because of the way Dick lived by itself, but because of what Jesus has done on a cross. And so as we receive these elements, we're reminded of how far Jesus has come to be reconciled with us, that that he has taken the greater step. And all we have to do is by faith say, yes, I accept. And these elements, these ordinary elements, become a means of grace, a way God's grace is displayed. But there's a secondary meaning. Now, there's so many meanings in communion. But it tells us that God can use ordinary things as a means of grace. I don't know about you folks, but I'm ordinary. And when I receive communion, it's not just about receiving the communion for myself, but it's a reminder that God wants to use an ordinary person like me to be a means of grace in the world. That that, that others receive the benefit of God's Spirit living within me. And so you're filled by the sacraments, not just to be filled, but you're filled to be emptied. You know, God doesn't just give us His Spirit so that we can have His Spirit, but God gives us His Spirit so His Spirit can be present in your home, in your workplace, in your schoolyards, or where you shop. God wants to be present in you and through you. So we'll receive communion, and I'm going to pray for us, and then... Rich is going to come and and do the instructions. I think Todd's going to help on one side and Rich on the other side as we receive him. Uh, Rich will give you instruction. You have gluten-free and all that here if you you need that. But let me say a prayer with you. Close your eyes just very quickly. This would be an awesome place and awesome time just to accept this free gift. And, And I've been told it's as easy as ABC. Now, I believe discipleship takes more than ABC, but admit that you've sinned. Believe that Jesus has died for your sins and claim him as your Lord and Savior. So as I pray, maybe maybe you've been working your whole life towards him and it's just hitting you that, that God has come to you and you just need to accept. 
I'd invite you to pray that with me if that's where you're at. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, right now, as we begin uh, to prepare our hearts for receiving these elements, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us uh, not only to, um, to be thankful for what you've done, but to be thankful for what you're allowing us to participate in. That it's not just about us, Lord, but it's, it's about you at work in us. So, Lord, help us. Lord, if there's sin right now, we confess it. We own it. It's ours. We, we have sinned and we have fallen short. And, Lord, we believe that Jesus came to reconcile sinners, people who failed to him. And Lord, we accept that salvation, but Lord, we're not going to leave it there. We're going to allow you to be Lord of our life. We're going to acknowledge that relationship with you changes things. And we're willing to be obedient to you. We're willing to respond to your love with faithful obedience. Now be with us, Lord, as we receive these elements. May it be pleasing to you and may your presence be felt. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.